With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Boom, we're on. And this week's episode is brought to you by Platinum Wave Campers, the UK's leading stockist of luxury Volkswagen camper vans. With locations up and down the country, Platinum Wave campers are on hand to bring your vision to life. So whether you are looking to start working on a custom-built project or find your dream Volkswagen transporter, this is a place to look. Ever dreamed of owning your own Volkswagen camper van? Well, now's your chance as you can save £500 by using the code JAMES500. All you have to do is speak to one of their friendly sales team and say that James English sent you there. Now, let's get into the episode. Boom, we're on. And today's guest, we've got John Massey. How are you, John? Very well, James. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Nice to be, for you to be here, mate. Thanks for taking the time out to be here. Fascinating story. Spent nearly 45 years in prison for murder. 43. Four, 43. Four prison escapes. Like, pretty mad. You only got out a few, few years ago. First and foremost, how are you? Um, I've had a few health problems. I had a couple of strokes, uh, when I come out, I'm still having a little bit of difficulty with speech and that, but otherwise I'm all right. Thanks for coming on today to tell your story, fascinating story, like I says. I always go back to the start with my guests, where you grew up and how it all began. Yeah. I, I was born in Camden, um, but mainly I was brought up in Hoxton, Shoreditch. I'm now living in, back in I'm now back in Camden. Well, I've got a nice little flat, and uh, things are not too bad. How was school? P- pretty much of a non-event. I was uh, always playing truant. In the end, uh, I, did, I got most of my education in a Prue school, which is what the Americans call a reform school. I don't think they exist, to, exist today, do they? Not sure. Yeah. What about... Uh upbringing with parents mum or dad um, 
Yeah, well, it was a bit of a poverty-stricken childhood where there was seven of us living in two rooms, basically. And uh, I think it was uh, my dad was in prison sometime, uh, which is when I went up, ended up in the first children's home. You know. What was that like? Well, that was when I was three years of age. Can you remember was, any of that? I remember it perfectly because it was traumatic for me. Because uh, I remember my mum, I was, we was walking down this country lane, holding her hand and uh, come to a little pond in the middle of a crossroads with frogs in it. I remember playing with the frogs, little baby frogs. And the next memory I've got is... Uh, greeting this tall, thin woman with a big starch collar who was obviously the matron of this children's home. It was a bit of a, bit of a big old country house. And now she took me into the garden and she pointed this little red tricycle in the middle of the lawn. She said, would you like to ride the bicycle? Well, I was... Of course I would. I was a kid. I wanted. Uh, yeah, I loved it. So I got on the bike. I did one lap of the lawn. As I come back round, my mum had gone. It was like a distraction technique, you know. And I screamed "fucking blue murder" from from then on. Do you think those things affect you to become the character who you ended up becoming? I think they do because who can remember when they was three years old? Nobody. You know, you can only remember things if they have a severe traumatic effect on you. Because my mum at the time was my world, you know. You, you can't envisage living without your mum when you're a little kid, can you? you know? Did you ever see it again? Of course I did, yeah. And, and I know my mum uh, did it for the right reasons. She was as heartbroken as I was. But she couldn't cope with... Uh, you know, six kids on her own when my dad's in prison. And uh, and I was a bit sort of, bit of a live wire, boisterous. Uh, she couldn't cope with me, you know. So I, I, I know mum, mum loved me and, and that's all I need to know. What was your dad in prison for? Uh, he was a bit of a, a bit of a face in his time. I don't really know. He was very uh, secretive about his life. I didn't know his, whether he had a mum or dad or brothers or sisters. I never knew anything like that. He was born in Birmingham, the Bullery, and he wore the old cheese cutter cap. I thought he was one of the Peaky Blinders. <laughs> uh, he may have been, I don't know. But um, he was like, in them days, like the man's man, you know, strong, silent type, and the woman should be in the kitchen and the man's bringing in the bread. Did you have any happy memories as a kid? Oh, for sure, yeah. But, um, which is the thing, it doesn't matter how, how poor you are or what little you have, you can still have great fun and, you know, take joy in life yeah you know 
when did the did the violent streak start? Was there patterns from an early age before you went to prison, or was yeah, that or did it well, gradually come? Unfortunately, I, I don't blame my 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 dad was very violent, but I've come to terms with that by accepting that he was a victim of his own generation. So if I came in from the street crying that some kids whacked me or, or whatever. He'd give me a bigger beating. He said, get back out there and fucking do him. Don't you dare come home until you... And he turned me into a lunatic, you know, because I was more frightened of him than I was the so-called daddies of the street, you know. Were you in Boston? Yeah. What age? 16. What was that experience for? Uh, it was run like a military-style... Short, sharp camp, yeah. yeah, and I escaped from there twice as well. I, everywhere they banged me up, I escaped from. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't tolerate uh, being locked up. It just seemed an unnatural process. And um, well, funny enough, that that children's home I just spoke about was my first ever escape. I they used to put you in bed at lunchtime after lunch or whatever for, for an hour or so. And I couldn't sleep. I was too much alive, you know. Like, how can you go to sleep when you, you've got so much energy? So in the end, they got so frustrated with me, they took me into a surgery room and strapped me to a gurney. But I found a way to wriggle out and undo the clips, jump out the window and they, Invariably catching me half a mile down the road, yeah. So that was my first escape. What was that feeling like running away from there? Well, did I you didn't. feel free? Yeah, for sure, yeah. But I didn't have a clue where I was going, or I just thought I'd try and make my way home, you know. What did you get sent there for? Boston. Well, well Boston, I think it was um, truancy and shot breaking. You know, petty crime. Yeah. From I got it in Bow Street um, Juvenile Court. What age did you get out? I got out at, uh, no, I didn't go there at 16 because I got out of there when I was 16. So younger? Yeah, because I remember being in Stanford House when I was 12, 13 and actually that was where I've had the first taste of isolation, punishment cell, bread and mortar. You ask people about bread and mortar the day they think you're, you're making up. But it literally used to starve you for three days with dry bread and a jug of water. That was all you, you had to eat, you know. Was that if you had been bad? I'm sure it was illegal in that age, but they still gave you three days bread and mortar. Was that because you had been a nuisance in there? Yeah. I what? escaped from there as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you must have been a fucking nuisance. So, so when they got me back, they put me in a secure unit inside um, this juvenile remand home. Were you ever getting any tests there as a kid? For what? Just mentally, like for to see how you were like escaping and um, misbehaving and getting no, put through all that not, trauma? Not that I can recall, no. Just no. that case of isolation. All, all you got was punishment, really. You know. How does that make you then rebel? 
and because you're already rebelling anyway but yeah. once you're going through all that as well did you then become anti-authority absolutely and i'm still anti-authority to this day because um i don't see how they call this a free country if you're being dictated to all the time you know all right uh, there's certain laws that everybody has to obey but but it seems to infringe on civil liberties a lot these days you know did you have any friends in boston or was that a kind of yeah. one-man show just every man for himself no I had, I had i had friends i had friends in it everywhere i went in fact uh the friend i made in boston turned out to be my bank robbing partner for come the future so and we ended up being a two-man team and uh we got fed up with jumping out of backs of transit, six and eight-handed, you know. And they only wanted to work in the winter where they could wear an overcoat of a sawn-off shotgun, whereas we wanted to work all year round, you know. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so we changed the rules and and it worked out quite well. So, what is, so you're through Boston from a very young age, isolation, tormented, trauma, beatings, all the usual suspects when you're in these kind of things years yeah. from the 60s, 70s. But so when you get out, was it just crime straight away in your mind to then start making money when you get into the serious stuff? Um, I wouldn't say it was um, up most in my mind to, to be a criminal. I just wanted what I wanted, basically. And um, I had to break the rules to get it. What age did you do your first bank? Um, I was quite late in life, I, was, I guess about 24. What was that experience like? Fucking nerve-wracking. Uh, I remember the, the moment you go on to a bit of work, you're, you got butterflies. Well, my, my mate, he had to sit on the toilet for half an hour before a bit of work, you know. But... Um, but I understand the nervousness, but once you put one foot into the ring to begin it, all that evaporated and you become calm, you clear, everything was clear and you knew what you had to do and it worked great. How much money back then? Oh, I, the reason I got a life sentence was um, because we had so much money we didn't know what to do with it. It was sort of coming out of ear holes and I, I've, I couldn't find enough hiding places for it. We'd both bought houses, we both bought, a, like we had a boat, we had a, the old Aston Martin, he had a Bentley. We just didn't know what to do the rest of the money. So we had a meet one night to perceivably uh, buy a couple of businesses, you know, so we could have uh, a little bit of legal income coming in and because the guy didn't show up at this meeting in this pub by the time we realised he ain't he's not coming we sort of got the flavour we stayed out all night and that's when uh, I had the row in the club and the shooting happened and, and so, I spent the next 43 years in prison so your life before that was all glitz and glam bad boy it was lovely doing yeah. a few robberies cash yeah were you violent before that then? Did you ever have like... No, I, was it just... I wasn't overtly violent. I was only violent 
if I was mistreated. And then, and then fucking God help you, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't care who you are then, no matter. Because everybody, it was a case of uh, you leave me alone, I'll leave you alone, you know. So at 26 years old, you I, I, I actually detest violence, although I've had so much of it. It kind of ruins you, it poisons you, it corrupts you. I can't understand people that do um, gratuitous violence. It, it don't make sense to me. It has to be for a reason, you know. Yeah, because you've experienced it your whole life. When I was in Spain, when I was on the run, people come up to me and try to offer me hundreds of grand to go and shoot people. And I'd, I'd ask them a question, why? What's he done? Oh, it don't matter what he's done. You know, I'll show what he does to me. Because I said, if he's a fucking wrong and he's left your kids without food, or he's fucked your family up, I'd do it for nothing. But if it's a silly excuse, uh, you call him looking at your wife or something soppy like that, I said, I'd rather shoot you, you cunt. <laughs> uh, so money, yeah. it didn't come into it. It was a principle, mm-hmm. you know. So 26 is a, the night your life changed. You get life. You end up spending 43 years in prison. You yeah. got a sonar shotgun, blasted a man. What was the run up to that, to that night? That that day was that a day you had a meeting with somebody about yeah, that, business. That was the day I had the meet in the pub, and the guy never materialised. So, so we'd been in there about an hour waiting for him and drinking. So, so as I say, we got the flavour. We decided to do a pub crawl. You know, <clears throat> and we ended up in this pokey little nightclub in Hackney, the Crickets. Uh, where we was, it was a lovely atmosphere. Everybody was singing, dancing. Everyone was feeling great. We was buying people drinks. But it just so happened that certain people took offence to us. Uh, thought we was a bit flash because we were spending too much money or, or whatever. I then decided it caused an argument. And it just, it just went up like a tinderbox, you know. Escalated. Yeah, and uh, next thing you know, well, we met a guy down there who was a friend of my partner. We was on our way out of the club. We sort of fought our way out of the club and got out. And we heard this, these blood-curdling screams coming from within and we realised it was his mate left behind. Uh, he's... Johnny Dove, his name was, went down to, we had to fight our way back in to get him out. And he'd been glassed in the eyes, and it was horrific. His, his eyes were laying on his cheek like a sliced onion. And naturally, uh, we put it down to the bouncer. And uh, bouncers in them days weren't employed for their diplomacy, they were employed because they were thugs. You know, they were violent people. Anyhow, to cut a long story short, uh, it just was unfortunate that near that area, we had a flat where we kept our arsenal, you know. So we tooled up 
had about three guns each. We went back, knocked on the door, and the bouncer answered. And I had no intentions whatsoever of shooting anybody. Just wanted to get hold of the perpetrators and give them a bit of likewise treatment, you know. But he happened to throw me a punch while I got a gun trained at me. It was just, and the rest is history. You just pulled the trigger un unintentionally. What was that feeling once you found out it was dead? It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Well, I was in a role play at the time. It, I just carried forward with the forward momentum and carried on into the club. And uh, but now, you know, obviously now, or even then, if I could have pressed the button, brought him back to life, I would have done. You know, because I don't, I don't really believe he deserved to die. If, uh, or whatever, he's just another misguided person, yeah. You know? When did you find out, John, that he was dead? Well, I kind of knew immediately because no one could have survived. Uh, I mean, I was armed with two pistols and a, a Remington automatic shotgun, and it was a shotgun I shot him with. I, it was such close range, it just no one could have survived it. Yeah. And where was your other two friends at this time? He was busy rounding up the other people, you know. It was a bit, bit like an old Wild West movie, shooting up the bar and everything. You know? But the, the people that were responsible escaped up, up the stairs. There was, a, there was a club at the bottom and a pub at the top. And they came, they escaped up through the pub and out the door. So uh, we, we'd already taken our friend to hospital by then. That was the first thing we did, dropped him off at the emergency department at Hackney Hospital. And he's blind, he's been blind to this day. But no one ever mentioned him, you know. So... Uh, there were three victims that day. Well, more than that, because our, each of us have family, you know. So we're all victims, really. Yeah, it has that ripple effect. Do you yeah. think more people could have died if they never escaped? I wouldn't say that, no. Because our, our original plan was to line up, get the people responsible and maybe give them a few cuts and bruises, you know. But never... Uh, 
killing anyone was never in my consciousness. I can't say from your friends or whatever. It was never in my consciousness. I got classed as the ringleader at the time because I was the one who pulled the trigger, but... Uh, I don't know. So after that then, you found out a man has been murdered. What do you do then? Well, my I just had a young baby at the time, Sarah. She was only eight months old. And she was staying at my friend's house with his wife while we was out so that was the first job to go and pick my partner up Marilyn and Sarah put in the back seat of the car and I had a bungalow in Essex at the time and uh, I was almost home when I realised I got a, picked up a tail a police car but on the corner of my where I lived was a local constabulary. And I thought, well, just maybe they're heading back to base. But in my heart of us, I knew it was. But I couldn't do anything because of the wife and baby in the car. So anyhow, I can't, carried on to where I live. I uh, pulled into the driveway. By the time I pulled into the driveway, the street was absolutely flooded with police, police cars and vans. And I had a semi-circular driveway. You could drive in one way and out the other. And they blocked off both ex entrance and exit and then blocked off the cul-de-sac. I lived in a cul-de-sac as well, so I was, I was like triple boxed in, you know. And then I got them indoors out of harm's way and then uh, I, I pulled the gun out again. They all scattered. I jumped back in the car bad the panda out in the driveway like a cardboard box. But I couldn't get past the rover and the police van. So uh, I thought, I got out of the car. I walked towards the patrol car. I thinking, fuck it, I'll, let, I'll take the patrol car. By the time I got there, they pressed all the buttons and ducked down out of view, you know. So I was left with limited options then. I thought, how the fuck do I get out of this? So I fired a shot at the, the blue light. Uh, but I found out I missed that and it went, it hit the top of the windscreen in the rubber surround. But when the bullet hit, the, the rover reversed it 30 miles an hour and you couldn't even see a driver, you know. But that, uh, that gave me enough gap to get through. So I run back to the Aston Martin, got in, bump, out. I had this big long chase for about 20 minutes. And uh, it was hairy. <laughs> I, I still get goose pimples now when I think about it, you know. Because if they'd have called me, they would have shot me full of holes, you know. I'd have been like a colander. But anyway, cut long story, I've gone hit this last roundabout and they've got it all blocked off. I had nowhere to go, couldn't go left, couldn't go right. So I thought, fuck it, I went right over the top. Then I come out the wrong side of a dual carriageway. So I put the headlights on, full beam, holding on to the horn, and just towed it. It was lucky it was early hours of the morning, there wasn't a lot of traffic. And then I realised that 
well, the police had gone, gone down the right side. And I realised after a while that I've got a right turn and they haven't. So I took them over a couple more intersections, chucked a right, went around a few turnings, left the Aston Martin in someone's driveway and nicked their claptack Cortina. And uh, all of a sudden I, I come to another roadblock, they waved me through. That's it, I got away. See, when you say they were, if they shot you, they'd have killed you. Oh, absolutely. They sometimes were pissed, mate. Yeah, they were absolutely pissed. They sometimes have a. Well, shot actually hit the back window of the Aston Martin, big crack. And I, I still got a bit of shrapnel in my back now. Do you ever wish sometimes that they would have? Yeah, I, not really, no, because I don't want them to win, you know. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean, but, but, yeah. but, but I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, everything and fucking like it's yeah. a weird question to ask, but it's just good to understand like how people are feeling at certain times, certain mm. moments, like going through that experience. Like, it's fucking nuts. Like, well, how, I, I didn't know what it was like to give in, really, which is uh. <laughs> Which was what made me and my partners so successful with the bank robbery, you know. I mean, we did things two-handed that the established bank robber was doing eight-handed. But we felt so confident in each other's loyalty and abilities that we, we, we were prepared to take on anybody. He didn't know what it was like to give in, nor did I. It's like after... When I said become close one day, we got pulled by a, a patrol car after we just had a group four van outside the bank. But the problem with working two-handed and having one car is you've got no plans, you've got no route, you've got no change over car. We just did it. We had to be in the right place at the right time, you know. Cruising the streets, so we see a van pulled up, we'd have it on the spot. Kamikaze? Yeah. Well, not particularly kamikaze because uh, we were pretty confident in our own abilities, you know. But this particular time, we were driving, and it wasn't sh too long afterwards that the sirens were getting closer and closer and closer. We thought, fuck, we've got to bail out of this car, get out. So we bailed out and we're in this sort of unknown area. And my, my mate's got the, the bag with the money. He's even got my gun in there. So I'm trying to fit up a, another car with my keys. As I'm doing that, I see this patrol car come down the street. Oh, fucking hell, yeah. A beautiful summer's day. It was June day, I remember. People were sitting in their front gardens. East Ham, it was. And they were looking at, you know, their neighbours go, look at the, the old building, go by. Half hour later, they see us coming back. <laughs> and then we duck down this side turn, didn't think we'd find a walkthrough to get, a, get away. We walked into another dead end. And the patrol car pulled up right beside us. And my mate said, like, leave it to me, I'll do the talking. And I thought, we ain't fucking talking our way out of this, you know. Give me my gun. They said, no, don't worry. Anyway, I think the causes knew straight away. They ran the window down and said, um, morning, chaps. I said, good morning. 
I said, you've been in the area long, have you? I said, we know, mate, we just come out. Why? He said, oh, we've had a bit of trouble down the road. He said, oh, yeah, what's that got to do with us? He said, well, you two fit the description. <laughs> I thought, fuck it, well, you ain't going to talk your way out of there, are you? In the end, he's asked to look in the bag. And my me, and me mate's arguing the toss with him, you know, outraged that you're asking some look in somebody's bag. Like, yeah, give me the fucking bag, let him have a look. All I want to give is me gun, you know. <laughs> and I got it, stuck the driver up. He's my mate, the co-driver. Got him out, left him handcuffed to the railings with their own cuffs and fucked off with a patrol car. So as you come to this uh, dual carriageway, the traffic's going like the clappers, you can't get out. So I thought, oh, no, 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 no. Put the old blue light on and the, and the siren. And it was great. And then halfway down the road, the radio burst in life, made me jump. I was kind of trying to drive like that, not touch the grip of the steering wheel. They said, all units, all units, Tango 4, just been hijacked by two gunmen, believe he headed towards Cannon Town. So we just hit a roundabout and Cannon Town was that way. But well, thank you very much for you. So he chucked a right, you know. And yeah, we parked it up somewhere, got out, jumped on a bus going by, got up to the top deck. As we were sitting, sitting down in the top deck, the old Sweeney's come round the corner on two wheels and the co-driver's got his arm out and in the posing and all that. As I've looked down at him, he looks up. So I said to my mate, I said, fucking hell, I ain't gonna mention his name, but I think they got us. What do you think he said? He went, fucking hell, he said, we'll have to hijack the country bus now. <laughs> and that was it, but we didn't, they was just posing, you know. Jumps off, got many cabbages away. When was this, after the murder or before? Oh, before. So this was just a job beforehand? Yeah, yeah. When you've done a robbery? Took the copper. Yeah. Handcuffed him up, stole his car. Yeah. Well, oh, I, I think that is, I think that had a great deal to do with the length of time they made me do. Um, when I said that they would have fucking filled me full of holes if they called me that night, well, this was even worse because we had to go on ID parade for everything that went off in the England and the home counties for the last two stretches. So these two cousins come along, and they're supposed to tap you on the shoulder if they recognise her. Well, this cunt tried to throw me a left hook. I just back there and his fist whistled past me chin. I went, you weren't so fucking brave on the day, mate, was you? You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What did you get so, for that? Well, it didn't. I, in the end, I just got the life sentence for the, for the shooting. Was that just before the shooting? Yeah. So you, when you got the ID parade, did the So they you? decided to, to put all that sign and die, not worth, because um, you can't do more than life, can you? Oh, so you done the I was it the ID parade after the shooting? Yeah. So you never, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, thinking yeah. you've been caught and then yeah. you've done an ID parade and you've maybe been let uh, out. No, we never got caught on any bit of work. Yeah. Uh. The guy you are with, did he ever get well, caught? Apart from that shooting, we wouldn't have got caught on that either, you know. Yeah. So what, when you're going through court, John, what, what's going through your mind? Did you, were you done banking your rights? 
gun court at DNA. Was a DNA then? Back in the day? 40, 50 no, years ago? No, I don't think it was. Did you still um, wear gloves though when you were going out in the graft? No. Didn't wear masks. Fuck all. What? They had very little cameras. There's no cameras. fucking cameras no. or fuck all that? What we did do, we had a barbers that used to make wigs and beards out of our own hair. Or we had to get a theatrical person to go and get us certain prosthetics, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, no, we, that was why we could go work in the summer, you know. We dispensed with the shotguns, bought handguns and shoulder holsters. We didn't bother going stealing cars to put on the roof for changeovers. We bought them out the evening news straight you could have a dodgy license be tooled up and you could stay in the pool you know so i'm good friends with no razor smith oh well i know right he, he writes for the inside time yeah man. legend yeah. man like he yeah. couldn't read or write changed his life in prison now he's got his own publishing company like, yeah he's unbelie done well unbelievable yeah. man like changed his life i think his son committed suicide when he was in prison or died when he was in prison yeah. and decided enough was enough and changed his life but he used to go out in jobs himself yeah, he, 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 he got out of prison. They gave him no money. If you got the confidence yeah. in yourself, you, you could go to war with anybody, you mm -hmm. know. Because he came out of prison, they gave him no money. They could usually get money to get home or get some food. Yeah. They gave him fuck all. And they 43 said, quid, yeah, they gave me. They put a bag over his head and went into his bank and just fucking tanned it. Yeah. They got out of prison. What was that? Is that an adrenaline kick then for you to then? keep doing that if yeah. you've got all the dough was there ever a target in your mind because you know yourself we always, everybody's greedy we yeah. always want more was there never a target to say right fuck this I'm going to make this and then shoot to Europe no. or were you just so we both bought houses he, he bought a nice house in Edmund I bought one in Walderside in Kent cash we, so, yeah so we got it was all feared out with the Best furniture, the garden landscape, landscapes and all that. And uh, we decided to retire. So we said, yeah, okay, we'll retire and like live on what we got. So I'm sitting at home out in the garden and I'm looking at the neighbours, I thought, you boring bastards, you know. They're just, uh, I thought, if only you know. <laughs> And I couldn't stand the boredom. It, it, it somehow got to me. Adrenaline is, is a powerful drug, you know. So now, two weeks went by, all of a sudden I got a phone call from my pal. He went, how you doing, John? I said, to tell you the truth, mate, I'm fucking bored shitless. He said, so am I. He said, fuck it, get the tools out, we're going to work. And that was it. Every time and lasted two weeks. I don't know. I don't know who who can tell you why. What was the thrill? Like, is it the thrill of being in control, or is it the thrill of making more money, or like the no, thrill? No, for me personally, it was the thrill of beating the system and doing something well. It's like I'm a I'm a carpenter. I, I can't leave a job unless I've it's perfection to me. You know, nothing else will suffice or give me satisfaction. So I might spend an extra three days on a job whereas another one would go bish bash bosh and leave it at that, take the money and run. For me, it's a pride in the work, you know. Even in prison, if I was cleaning toilets, so I had to clean them properly. Uh, 
many jobs did they have you down on, in doing? That was the only job I would accept, cleaner. No, for the coppers, when you get caught, how many banks did they say that you'd done? Um, well, they didn't bother prosecuting with them. You're getting a lifer anyway? Yeah, yeah. But did they say that? Yeah. Was there a number? Well, they haven't got the full number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why I asked what number did they say. <laughs> did they give uh, a certain number? Because obviously it was yeah. a two-man job. They must have known straight away, right? Yeah. There's not many banks being done by two. See, in, in the case that I, unlikely, would have gotten an acquittal on the murder, they would have... There's a good chance you'd have probably got a lifer for that. Well... Not really. No, no one got killed or anything. Uh, Fucking taking a cause a hostage, old man, stealing his car. Yeah, but it's, I, I don't have this silly admiration for people in uniform that my, most people have. You know, say, oh, you, you can do it if you don't judge a prisoner. I sort of like, strip them naked, the same fucking cunts as we are, you know. Anybody that takes a liberty with other people deserves what they get. Whether they're in a uniform or not. How does it feel when you were getting bullied when you were younger from the screws and in Boston and that, but then you eventually become like a bully? Are you going into banks and that as well? It was like you're doing that, no, putting fear was, into people's lives. I life. wasn't a bully. I was very sensitive to people's reactions. And I even calmed, used to calm down a few guards, you know, because a couple of them got really frightened. Oh, I've got my forgets, mate. And all. Take it easy, relax, mate. Everything's going to be all right. It's not your money. Did anybody ever try and become a hero? No. Because you have to establish, you have to put your foot down on that immediately Yeah. to remove that from the equation. You know? The guy I'm from, from Porso, man, he dressed up as a copper, went into the post office. They were letting him in and making them tea. And while he was doing <laughs> yeah. that, he was fucking just reading it all. I think he yeah. got away with 70 grand, and that was back in the early 80s. She made them all tea, but then obviously when it says, right, it made them all feel calmer. But then again, the trauma will still hit them as well. That Did you ever think about that as the years pass on, like all those banks going in and people screaming? Like, does that ever play in your mind as well, John? I It does. I, it does, because you're not, you're not really aware of it at the time. But on reflection, you look back at your past, you think, God, I must have been all right fucking arsehole you know some of the things I've done in it but um, I don't know I've, I've made reparation wherever I can in certain certain things you know uh, obviously you, you can't repair a lot of the damage you've done but um, I don't know it's like someone asked me today about, I mean, I was approached by a Scotland Yard at the beginning of my sentence. And normally you wouldn't entertain having an interview with them, but I was intrigued, you know, I wanted to know what they knew. So I agreed to this uh, visit. And uh, they, they offered me five years in Chiswick Police Station in a suite of cells where you could live in comparative luxury, have your girlfriend or your wife or whatever, have booze, uh, if I cops up my pals. If I if I gave them information on all my bank robbing friends, 
Well, you know what my answer was. I ended up doing 43 strings. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, there's not many people. Bet, how many that people would have bit their fucking arm Fucking off, right, they would you know? have. There's no yeah. loyalty nowadays. But what they don't realise, I remember because Bertie Smalls was the first one, right, with the old Wembley bank robbers. He traded all his pals in for, I don't even know if he's still alive, the cunt, I hope he ain't, but to me it's more important to walk along that street and hold your head up and knowing that nobody can point a finger at you. That's more than any man of prison or money. I'll do this sentence all over again. And they, if they threaten me with it, if I won't give them names or whatever, I'll do it all over again. I think that's, no hesitation. I think that's why you're respected, though. I think that's why there's no money. You know yourself, in that, in that game, there's no loyalty anymore, especially nowadays. No, but that, James, if you can't live with yourself... You, you might as well be fucking dead anyway. Yeah. Because that that guilt will eat you from the inside out. So seeing you're going through court, how long did the court case last? Uh, three, just over three weeks, I did think. Did they offer you a deal? Nah. To plead? Nah. nah. Were you done banking rights? Um, I suppose with all the evidence there and the witnesses, yeah, it was... I still pleaded not guilty. <laughs> still trying to fight the yeah. system. I think the jury come back with, um, in the end, he, he couldn't get a unanimous verdict. So it ended up 11 to 1, I think. So it's pretty yeah. strong, I'd yeah, say. Yeah, fuck. Yeah. But the judge was a bit of a prick. He made a birdie of me straight away. Like, where's my. Pal, he only ended up doing a 14 stretch out of his life sentence. So I'm in the witness box and the, the judge, uh, he said, would you like a glass of water, Mr. Massey? I thought, yeah. I said, yes, I would, thank you. And he's made this business of pouring a glass of water and he's gone to hand it me and he pulled, he's pulled it back lively, poured the water into a plastic cup. I thought, you cunt. You know what I mean? He's made me look like an animal. Like a wild animal, I'm not trusted with gloves. Who was it going through the court case? Was that was it Charlie Higgins? Yeah, was his family there? I don't know. I was only conscious of uh, any family men, members of Charlie Higgins, um, at Old Streets Magistrate Court, and he, his sister. And I've never forgot it. She was uh, in the public gallery which was the same level as the court you know and as uh, we got um, what they call it um, not convicted uh, oh, you have to go to the magistrate before you go to high court don't you so anyway we finished with that on the way out and she, there was this woman that was you could see the pain in her face and tears and she said I've said something to me and I lean for and she spat at me and it turned out to be his sister and uh, I, I really felt sorry for her all these years yeah because I I know how my own family felt about me you know. um, 
I never ever saw that pain again when I was in Wandsworth before I was sentenced. And I got the news that my brother, Terry, had committed suicide. And he, he was only 10 months younger than me. And uh, he, uh, we'd wrote, written a couple of letters and uh, we were quite close. We sort of shared a bedroom sort of most of our life, you know. Obviously, you had their fights that only been so very shirt you're wearing and who's socks and all that. But yeah, I loved it in the best. But and uh, anyhow, they they took me to a chapel where my family was, and uh, I remember my sister, especially my eldest sister Carol. She was an absolute bitch, you know. It was the same look on her face. As Charlie Egan's sister. Why? Why? Because they've both lost a brother. Does she blame you? Who? Your sister. Oh, no. No, it was over. Oh, yeah, yeah. The loss of my brother, Mm -hmm. Terry. So I'm now the only surviving male in the family. Well, my dad, like. So, but what they, that gave me was a secret weapon in prison, really. Because uh, I knew that I, as low as I ever got in prison, and there were some bad, dark times in prison, I could never do what my brother did. I could never inflict that pain on them twice. You understand what I mean? So that left me with, although there were many times I wanted to die, I wanted to end it or pull the plug or whatever. But I couldn't, I couldn't do that to my family. But that left me with the secret weapon, no fear. I didn't give a fuck about dying. If the screws wanted to come and beat me up, I'd, I'd meet you face, head on. And that's why they caught an handle in prison. They, uh, I wouldn't give in, no matter how much they hurt me. I thought it was legitimate to die in combat, as it were, but no way would I ever do it to myself. Which was which gave me that weapon of absolutely fearless. In the, in the eyes of the squad, where you got a lot of prisoners curl up into a ball in the corner, oh, please, sir, no more. No, no. Fuck all that. Give him, you know, until you're unconscious. And then when you wake up, give him again. If a screw came at my door and you opened it and I could tell immediately by the demeanour on his face whether he'd come to give me grief or... Because yeah. if a screw said good morning to me, good morning, it'd be the hardest thing in the world for me not to say good morning back. But if he come to give me grief for that, I'd, I wouldn't even bother waiting to find out. I'd jump up straight away and stick the nut on him. I'd go, oh, what'd you do that for? Because you're about to do it to me, you can't. And they did. What was it like when you got your guilty, John? Oh, I remember I remember my legs feeling like jelly when I was sentenced. When it kind of, the import of it sort of hit me like a, 
like a cosh, you know. But um, then you got to face your your partner, and your mum, and your dad, and your sisters, and yeah, uh, it's all very emotional time. What did they give you? Twenty three? No, they give me a life sentence with a minimum of twenty. So that means there's no maximum. So when I did get the I when I came to the twenty year review, they gave me a brown envelope with a knockback in it, saying you're not getting. I thought fuck it. That was when I made my first escape. After the twenty years. Yeah, I thought they ain't gonna let me out. Fuck it, I let myself out. How many prisons were you in that twenty years? Oh, I lost count. I've been in every virtually every prison in the country, except Whitemore. I remember being transferred from um, Long Line in a 52-seater coach with about eight screws, just me, on the way to Whitemore. I think we get about 100 miles or whatever, and the radio's coming up. No, we don't want him here. So they tried to park me up other prisons. The answer kept coming back, no, we don't want him here. So I said to him, like, no, no one fucking wants me. Drop me off at the nearest bus stop, you know. But in the end, I ended up in Winston Green in Birmingham. And, uh, because well, when you was cut out in the early days, you got moved every three months anyway. So that you couldn't sell. Or if you was digging a tunnel, you couldn't finish it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever come across Charlie Bronson? Yeah, I did, yeah. What was he like? I've, I don't really want to talk about him yeah. because I fell out of him and I'm still pissed off with him to to this day. Thank so you. little said about that. About. Yeah. What about when you done your 20 stretch end? Did you have it in your mind that there's a possibility you could have got out? I suppose if I'd have towed the line and been a choir boy or whatever and did the yes sir, no sir, three bags for I probably would have. But okay, it's impossible. Did you do any courses or anything for behaviour? Nah. Oh, I, I did like the basic R&R, whatever they call it, but most of the work, I've got other people to f fill the forms in, you know. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't be asked with it. Because in, uh, unless you go... And they're a complete waste of time. You, you, you get prisoners or artists that, you know, and they can sell through these courses like, like Greece, but, but me, you've got to be devious to do that, you know. you got, for fuck it, what you see is what you get with me. Oh, if, if they don't like the answer, that's too bad, you know. Mm -hmm. That's the answer I'm giving. Did you, did you think you were going to die in prison? Not as long as I had breath, no. Mm -hmm. Because I thought there's always escape. Yeah. Although a few prison governors did threaten me with that. They said, like, you're going to end up dying in prison. Did you ever see prisoners get killed by yeah, the screws? absolutely. Yeah. And... Every single fucking time the screws come out whitewashed. Unbelievable. Clean it up, so I mean, accident. It, 
Bill Marsh well, was, was with Jimmy, right? They called me off the exercise yard for a moody spin. They called it DST. There were a group of screws that wore paramilitary-style uniform, like the long boot, angled boots and the, all the patch pockets, all the gizmos, and all fucking muscle band, all on steroids, doing weight training and all that. I was what? Well, I was old of it, age pension at the time. They called me off the exercise yard for a moody spin. As I got my sweatshirt halfway on my head, they steamed into me. And they fucking pummeled me for about a quarter of an hour. And you know, the sick part about it, the guy that did the worst out, he threw the punch from behind. Can I mention his name? Yeah. Am I going to get... I don't give a fuck if he sues me anyway. Yeah. I've got fuck all. <laughs> His name is Carl Morning. Muscle band, cunt. <laughs> yeah. His face was the poster boy on the anti-violence posters. How sick is that? And now I ended up uh, later meeting a couple of women in Rochester prison who were married to a principal officer in Belmarsh. And the stories they told me about the violence, where he hit her over the head with plates and fucking broke, you know, frying on punches and animals. These steroids they're taking to build up them, they affect you. A lot of people, they make you violent, don't they? Mm -hmm. Well, that's what I've heard anyway. But this group of... Group of uh, animals called the DST. They used actually perpetrated the violence. You know, they go up to a prisoner and just hit him on the chin and when they react, oh, I'll blow the whistle, press the bell, they'd be all be on them. Like, when they done me that day, they, they banged everyone up so nobody could see what's going on. So when um, I tried to nick him over it, Belmarsh is the most secure prison in the country. They house the worst of the worst in Belmarsh. They got cameras every fucking two foot. It, they couldn't pull up one single frame of CCTV footage when I got smashed up. Unbelievable. Did they break anything? No, they tried to. It was only my experience in that sort of like roughhouse and my fitness that I survived. I mean, I was 66 and I think any any other 66-year-old, he, he wouldn't have made it. Why did you do that? Because of my escape from Pentonville. It oh, was well, payback. Because there was a government... Um, Pentonville, a black woman called Jenny Lee, Jenny Lewis, or something like that. She met me in Belmarsh reception. I was banged up in a cell away from the other prisoners because I was Kai. She's opened the door, and I thought, oh, hello, Miss Lloyd. She said, Massey, a lot of people want to kill you. I said, what for? So it was nothing personal. I went and see me. I had to go and see me. Mum, uh, you wouldn't let me. 
I've got there. I did it. She said, you ruined a lot of lives. So obviously there was an extreme bad feeling about it, you know. I don't know if the governor got the sack or whatever. Because when I escaped, I escaped during a security audit. And that ain't supposed to happen. You know, nobody escapes during a security audit. So obviously uh, heads had to roll. I said, well, if you was doing your fucking job properly, I wouldn't have done it, would I? <laughs> so why, why have a go at me? It's your fault. So she sicked the other people onto me. That's my preferred belief anyway. So seeing your first 20 years, was did you have anything in your mind that there was a possibility you could have escaped? Or were you thinking, try and do the 20 years as clean as possible so you can get out? No, no, no. My, um, no matter... No matter what institution I've ever been in, my first thought is how to get out. And to me, it's a natural... Uh, like I've, I've always said, look, you put any living creature in a cage, what's it do? It fucking circles every inch of that cage looking for a weakness to get out. It's a natural instinct. Even like salmon swimming upstream, you, get, you know, even a plant, you wouldn't dead it... Uh, dedicators having an intelligence put it in a dark corner it will grow towards the light you can't legislate against human nature can you but they they want to put penalties like 10 years in prison if you try to escape or it just goes against the grain so your first escape was 20 years later yeah how did you plan that um, I managed how I did it. I can't really remember now, but my dad had um, he had a stroke and he was in a wheelchair, and they allowed me a compassionate escorted visit, which made it easy, you know. So I had, I had some pals ready waiting to meet me in it, and uh, I spent a month laid down in the flat before I went to. Got transported to Spain. How did you get to Spain? Car? What? Well, originally, Power had hired these two young pilots to fly me into Belgium. But they were a couple of fuckers, they were. <laughs> <laughs> so we had, a, had this long drive down to Dover Airport, yeah. and they got this fucking cheap old Cessna. And I looked at it, I thought, fucking hell. I don't like planes anyway, but this thing looked like I was able to give a bailing wire, you know. As luck would have it, uh, air traffic control come out and said, look, listen, boys, it's too blustery across the channel. We had ripped your wings off today. You, you, know, you won't be able to fly today. Oh, I thought, well, oh, thank God for that. So now I've got the choice. We've got to drive all the way back to London, back to the safe house. Oh, I thought, well, I could get nicked. On the way, we could get a pool on the way back, you know. I said, fuck it, go to the pool. Let's have a, get a feel of it, see if you can buy a couple of tickets for the ferry. So uh, I said, ah, oh, that's all right, we'll put you in the boot. I said, fuck all that's first place. I said, look. He said, no, we've done it loads of times. They could a couple of right herberts, these pilots. So I think they had five grand each to fly me, and uh, a couple of tickets is cheap, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So uh, I went, I'll go on all right then, but drive somewhere where no one can see me get in the boot. 
But just as I was about to pull away, like the, the alarms went up, I went, no, 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 nick that. I said, show me your passports. They give me the passports. So I put theirs, I've got a dodgy one. I put mine in the middle, trying to see if I get any vibes that mine's a bit iffy. Felt all right, I said, fuck it, go and buy three tickets. Anyhow, we got to the customs control bit. What was the first thing the woman said? Can we have a look in the boot? <laughs> oh, you fair of cunts. Uh -huh. oh, I'd have been well nicked, you know. But it went sweet as luck. Got through all right. Where did you go? How did you get in? Uh, so we went to Cali. In the boot? Hey. No, no. No, normal. Just sitting normal? Normal, yeah. So you're, you're going to go in the boot, but yeah. then you tried it out. I changed my mind, yeah. Yeah, fuck that. Yeah. They always look in the boot. Exactly, yeah. Do you think they'll try to get you caught? Oh, I don't know. I think they're just too green and stupid. On the way to fucking Paris, they try to sell me the car. <laughs> so what what happens then when you get through you thinking I'm going to make a new life for myself and try and keep the head down yeah. or are you thinking I'm going to well, get a bit no, of luck it was kind of impossible with me because um, you know what, what could I do legally I'm in a strange country for, never been out of England ever in my life before but Palmine set me up with some people that in a got me this six bedroom villa where was like passing up puff, you know, loading it on the lorries and getting back there. It was a good life. Good money. Good life. How long were you there for? Um well in Spain. Yeah. Well I was I was two years free in uh Port Buenos Marbella. I spent the next five years uh three years in Spanish prisons. They caught you there, huh? How did they catch you? Oh, it like deja vu, it was. So I, um, and it, it's very, uh, still very sore for me as well. I had a baby, I had a baby boy by my partner and uh, he died. Uh, they called it cold death. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. And, uh, Anyhow, so me and the girl were out drowning our sorrow sort of thing. We stopped at this uh, bar in Fingerola. She was obviously upset. I said, look, you go to the toilet, clean yourself up, I'll order a drink. So as I've ordered drinks, she had to walk past. The pub was empty except for these three guys sitting in the corner. As she'd gone past them, one of them said, uh, what's the matter, darling? Is that kind of upset you? I've heard it. I thought, so I take no notice of them pricks. And next thing I know, one of them's come up behind me, smashing me in the back of the head with a stool. Another one's run around the bar and bubbled all the doors. So obviously they want to lock me in there and chew me up like a banjo, you know. But they picked the wrong fellow that night. And I left them all on the fucking deck and ended up getting charged with attempted murder. And they attacked me. Yeah. How long did it take to get extradited? Uh, three years. Did you want to stay in Spain or did you want to go back I home? can absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where yeah. do you think? Actually, you... I, got, I got extradited the same as my mate Kenny. Kenny Noy, we got next out there as well. And uh, 
in the end, they ended up putting us in separate prisons. And they come for me at three o'clock in the morning, the Guardia Seville, fucking machine guns and everything, tied me up with a large jacket and put me in the back of the car off to the airport. Yeah, they don't fuck about that. Did you ever any hassle on the Spanish jails? They tried it a few, like, because being a foreigner, you're a bit of a... They consider you prey, don't they? But I put my foot down straight away. They nicknamed me Loco Inglés, like the manned Englishman. But but it's all right. If I had to choose between doing bird here or in Spain, I'd choose Spain every day. Why? Because you've got that air of hope there. They have a fiesta at a drop of a hat. They have ambulances every now and again. Can you not get your missus in as well? Life sentence doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Can you not get your bird in as you well? You can have conjugal visits, yeah. Fucking it, it? Yeah. There's no work. You're out in the sunshine all day, every day. You've got a little shop built into the wall. What more do you want? How much does alcohol play in your downfall, John? Obviously, uh, it, pl- it pl- in played a great deal. Although I'm not, I'm not a heavy drinker by any means. I very rarely drink more than three pints a month now. You know. But then I was always that. Yeah, when you're young, you're clubbing it and pubbing it and pissing it all out the wall. You know. Um, so, if I wouldn't wouldn't drink in that night, all this would never have happened. You know, I, I do think of that now and again, but that's what it has on it. Yeah, and and when this other incident happened in Spain with a free guy, and they turned out to be free Englishmen as well. I thought, fuck me, I come all this way to fucking Spain to have a very free Englishman, you know. And they tried to claim compensation. All the fuckers, they locked all the doors and they wanted to chew me up so I couldn't escape. You know, you like if you've just lost a child and you're, you're plus you've got a bit of whiz up you and they pressed the wrong buttons, you know. What was it like when you get extradited back? Fuck it all, yeah. Um, I think I got met here. Oh, Scotland Yard come and got me. And I was double cuffed on the plane. Couldn't eat me fucking dinner probably on the plane because <laughs> of the cuffs. I, f- I thought about causing a scene and all that, get the cuffs off. And, um, and we got into Heathrow and they whisked me straight off to uh, Wandsworth. And there, I could sense the animosity straight away there. You know. Was that you and Bank Catty again? Yeah, Catty and Catty. Yeah. Did they, did you get an add-on? What was the add-on for that? Um, I don't think I did an extra six or seven years. Was it worth it? Fucking right. <laughs> I, yeah, I got to see my mum. Mm-hmm. No one can ever take that away from me. Um, no, as I said before, if you 
start regretting things and you want to change things, you could, then that means you've got to change everything. And obviously, you'd like, you, you can't pick and choose, just change the bad bits, you know. You've either got to accept it, all of it, or not at all. I wouldn't change anything. You escaped four times, but it was the four times not because of all family issues? Yeah. What was, it, what was the second time you escaped for? Well, they, oh, my sister, Carol, eldest sister, I got a message. I was actually, and it wasn't what I'd class as an escape anyway, because I was in open prison, Ford, which where I eventually got banned from all open prisons. So I had to go to this Warren Hill, you know. Um, I got a message that she wanted to see me. And if you knew my sister Carol, she would, that would strange, be very out of character. She would never ask, you know, so I knew it was serious. She was in intensive care in the Royal Free. So I went straight to the governor, asked permission to go and see her. I think, I mean, open prison, you know. No. I said, well, give me an escort visit then. I don't care. You know, you got to use six screws. Well, I just need to see her. You know, sorry, but we can't spare the staff. I thought, well, fuck you, I'm, I'm going. The, the call was too strong, you know. And yeah, she died two weeks later. So I wouldn't change the thing, no. I got to see her. You got to spend that two weeks See, with her. I I never forgot the day my brother died. I didn't get to say goodbye. You know that has hurt me f to this day. Forty three years later, forty six years later. So, if ever there's a chance, you know, you know, every time you have a phone conversation with a loved one. You always end that conversation by saying, I love you. Or you leave the home, you leave the house. All right, see you later, love you. They may be the last words you'll ever say to them. And if you did do that, and something bad did happen, it pulled you to pieces for the rest of your life. You see what I'm getting at? Yeah. So when you when you spent your two weeks with your sister, did the coppers know you were there? Did they just leave you alone? Um, that was strange. I, I did sense there was activity around there, but I did a bit of reconnoitering around the hospital and, that and slipped in quietly. But I did... Um, I think I was lucky more than anything. Yeah. So if you're in your open prison, John, you're not then close to be getting released? Of course. Of course. But how can you not go and see your sister you're very close to who's dying, basically? To me, that's, that's cruel. Yeah, I would have done the same. That's inhumane. I would have done the same. Yeah. Which is what happened in the case of my mum. Or I had to escape from Pentonville. I don't, it doesn't matter where I'd have been at the time, I would have made an attempt wherever it was. And this is the third time you escaped? Yeah, I, I, I can't remember really. 
So every time you've escaped is to go and see a loved one who was dying? Well, the other one wasn't an escape. I was actually, I got released to a hostel. I was only out three weeks. My dad was dying in Royal Free again. So we're at his bedside. The whole family is at his bedside. And in the event, I was actually the last one my dad spoke to. Everyone was asleep, and I saw him take his last breath. But when I phoned up, I was the doctor came in to tell us news. Look, we don't think your dad's gonna last the next twenty-four hours. So I did the dutiful thing. I phoned up the hospital, told him the circumstances. I said, "Look, I'm staying with the rest of the family by my dad's bedside." He's only got hours left in it. No, Mr. Massey, you've got to come back here and observe the 11 o'clock curfew. I said, go on, fuck off. Put a phone me. They recalled me to prison for that. And, uh, well, basically, basically, another 10 stretch. It's not even a crime. They can't whisk you off the street for disobeying an order, can I? And give you a 10 stretch. But again, if you're doing a life sentence. Yeah, because you're a lifetime. I'm on a bit of string. Mm -hmm. I can yank on that bit of string any time they like and drag it back. Although in my case, I don't think they want me back in a hurry, but, but it's feasible they can do that. Can you see why you are, though? Well, On a bit of string with them? Yeah, but I think anything... Short of violence, they, they'd have a strong time justifying dragging me back to prison. Because no matter what you've done, John, like, you can see you're still a good guy, you're loyal, and my, I've got a heavy heart for you, but I also feel as if you've got a heavy heart your own, you're carrying a lot of pain. Oh, I've got a lot of baggage, yeah, but, um, you know, yeah. Sometimes I feel the weight of it is is gonna drag me down, but other it's like talking to people like yourself, you you should kinda of give me a little bit of renewed energy, you know. Because uh, you you've been there, you know what it's all about. But a lot of other people don't understand. They aren't understanding prison circumstances from programmes like Porridge or you know. Mm -hmm. Which is it's so far removed from reality, it's untrue. But you must be one of Britain's longest-serving prisoners. Well, I was before I was released. But I think now Charlie Bosch has overtaken me now because he's still in there, isn't he? How hard is that for you to try and like talk about it and being in prison for that and missing family time? Like, How hard is that for a man who spent so long in prison knowing that you're clearly still a family man and you're clearly carrying a lot of regret and pain, but how difficult is it because for anybody watching it's maybe wanting to get involved in a life of crime I think they're a bad man like, I think you're a prime example that crime doesn't pay well, of course it doesn't pay well, well one of my good friends I used to like, be bankrolling with one of the leading members of, of a London crime family he said to me a couple of months ago he said John he said if we'd have gone to work straight 
all these years instead of going on the pavement. He said we would have saved all that grief and we'd have had more money than we got that than we ever got out of that. Which is true. Yeah. How's your relationship with Kenny Noy though? Because Kenny's a high profile name as well, not Yeah, scene. no I I always seen it be defending his name, Kenny, because I've always found him a nice guy and a gentleman. But all this shit that's been brought about him, because he killed a cousin and that, obviously, uh, he's under threat all the time, isn't he, from the other people. But um, to me, I, I think he was a nice guy. And I've never known Kenny to be violent except on defence. And in both cases where he killed that cousin, he jumps up out of a hole in the ground and whacked him out here with a pistol butt, and he stabbed him. You're virtually fighting for your own life in them certain. It's not murder, is it? The guy, they think they're James Bond, some of these C-17 people. He dug a foxhole in his, in his garden out in Kent to keep surveillance on him for the gold bullion. Remember it? Yeah. And uh, Kenny happened to be out in the garden walking the two dogs who they misappropriately named Brinks and Matt. <laughs> and the dogs sensed the guy in the garden. He's jumped up out of the hole. Well, I don't call that, man. I call that self-defence. They had the masks and that on as well, did they not? Yeah, he's balaclavered up, clavers. everything. Frightening, terrifying situation. You don't know who the fuck he is, do you? Might be coming in, might be an assassin or whatever. What's the worst prison you've been in, John? Armley. Why? I didn't even have to think about it, did I? No. Armley in Leeds because they beat the fuck out of me there and left me unconscious and left me with amnesia. I got transferred there from Wakefield where they tried to fit me up with stolen keys come and drag me out of bed at three o'clock in the morning in me underpants, cuffed me, slung me on the van, took me to Armley. And all I got out of them was, you cockney cunt, I, uh, you're not a fucking gangster up here, mate. I, all that shit through the spiral. And they kept a red light on all night um, because I was, they said because I was K. I said, I was K in the other jails, they never kept a fucking red light on all and then they wouldn't turn it off, I'd smash it off the ceiling. And then proceeded to smash the whole fucking cell up. And they said through the spice, well, we'll be in in the morning, we'll fucking break your back and all that. I said, well, come on then. And you know, I got as prepared as I could do, but they overwhelmed me. And they dragged me down a strong box, but as they dragged me down the stairs, then they're letting my head hit every step on the way fucking down. You know, it was one of their tactics. And yeah, I don't remember much after that. I woke up in a strong, what I knew was a strong box. It's like, you call it, it goes under a few names, silent cell. It's like a cell within a cell. Have you ever come across them? No. So you got you got to go through one door, before you get to another door, which is a cell, and all it is is bare concrete, 
you've got a concrete post coming out of the floor for your chair or maybe a tree stump or something like that. And you've got a concrete slab as your bed. And I woke up in that and I couldn't remember my own name. It was weird. But I knew I was in prison. So I thought, how can I remember I'm in prison yet not remember my name or how I got here? That's strange, mm -hmm. it, it was really weird. And I remember the silence and I thought, and the silence was so silent, it was deafening, if you know what I mean. It kind of hurt my ears, it was so silent. Just white noise. Yeah, and that's what they'd done to me. And then they made me, and they put me into another strong box the next day, and I had to run the gauntlet from the strong box to the recess to empty my piss bar and all that, you know, where they batter me on going in and coming back. So the worst jail I've ever been, yeah, armly. I wanted to set up a fucking machine gun nest outside when I got out and do a lot of them, but that's how much I, hatred they instilled in me, you know. Mm -hmm. And because I was from London, uh, or a Cockney, as it, uh, I really got a treatment. Yeah, because I had someone, uh, Sam Miller, he was in IRA, and they called in the Blanket Boys 10 years every day, get a beating. Yeah. And he hated them. He says, I think a few of them got murdered, but he wanted more killed. And you can understand why they hate in the age. If you're getting beat up every fucking day, like, and, yeah. and abused and laughed at and tormented, and you're going to be full of rage. People's yeah. ego get dented if you just bang into them here. Did you ever see that film, The Sleepers? Yeah, uh, Brad Pratt, the four young boys, yeah. and they, they come well, back for revenge. That's the kind of scenario. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've felt that. And uh, in fact, a few of my pals have had to talk some strong sense to me, you know, because I still had that urge to get recompense, you know, but. But, nah. Get revenge. Yeah, but it's a monk's game, really. Yeah. So, so see, uh, after your 43 years, what was the, the run-up to getting released, John? Were you in an open prison? No, because you never got an open prison anymore, did you? Because you no, escaped. so I think it was Blunkett who introduced uh, this new prototype prison. It's a bit of a guinea pig place where... It was closed, enclosed, but you had to do, get through three stages to be eligible for release. But you couldn't get home leave or any of the privileges you got in a category D prison. So again, I got other people to fill all the forms in. I used to have the school come out and we were, oh, that was very good, John. And I thought, yeah, well, I've never fucking done it. You know, it's a, it felt like uh, you got to break your own principles to go ahead with it, you know. And it, it all meant no. It was all sort of cosmetic stuff. In actual reality, it was all... It didn't mean a lot, you know. And I actually got one of the fastest releases ever known to a lifer. I've never known anybody get released so quick. Because uh, I got a parole board coming up. That's why I grew this beard. I first grew this beard. I thought, 
fuck it, I've, all the other Pro Bowls I've had in the past, they got this young picture of me on the folder. They think, oh, he only looks young and fuck it, he can do another 10 strikes. You know, I thought, well, this time I'm going in looking old and uh, I'm walking in slow and all that. And I got it, I've got parole. So I got the pro on a Monday. Now, you're supposed to wait 15 days before you get an answer. I got the pro ball on a Monday. I got the answer on a Tuesday. I got kicked out on a fucking Wednesday. Never been known before. Because even after the 15 days waiting for the answer for the pro ball, you got, then you got to wait a month or so for probation to set you up with a hostel and all that shit. So I was in and out three days. What was that for? I think I became an embarrassment. It, well, I, I knew the MPs were even asking the question, why is this man still in prison? I know that Lord Ramsbottom, he, he did ask that. And the ex-prison governors were asking, they were making comments when I escaped, you know. And... Uh, it was kind of the overall view that they couldn't explain why I've served longer than any terrorist, any multiple fucking child killer, any rapist, pedophile, lunatic, even a guy convicted of genocide. I've served longer. Why? Basically, I went out for a drink on Friday night and never come home for 43 years. I never went out to change the world or overthrow the government or so why have I served longer than anybody else in England why have I become the longest serving prisoner it didn't make sense what was it like when you got parole yeah there was a guy that got released got parole the same time as I did and we got David fucking McGreevy killed three children he was babysitting for decapitated them and stuck their heads on spikes on display. How come he's, he did 13 years less than me, how come he's not a danger to the public and I was? Which was always their answer when they knocked me back for parole. I'm a danger to the public. I've never been a danger to the public. Ever. What was it like when you got parole? What was that feeling like, John? Fucking brilliant. I still got a picture on my phone of the day I got out. Yeah, my sister and my niece come and pick me up and a family friend. And you look at that picture and you can see the pure happiness on my sister and niece's face. It's, and mine. It was great. It's a long time. Like, see, when you get out, yeah. did you ever think it was a bit too fast-paced here, too much, that you were going to do something daft no. to go back in? No, no. No, because um, I didn't make the mistake of a lot of prisoners over the years. I I wasn't content to lie in the bed, smoking puff and all that, and forgetting about what I wanted to know what's going on in the world. I bought a paper every day, religiously, for years. Always turn the news on, the old Channel 4 news, and I was like a sponge for information all the time, what's going on. So I never got left behind with the progress of the outside world. Because I, 
a million times screwed your governor's saying to me, oh, you find it strange when you get out, John, now. I mean, no, and the only thing I fucking find strange is being in prison. That's the unnatural environment for me, not out of here. Yeah. And so when you get out, if you're keeping up with current affairs and politics and what's going on in the rest of the world, you're not suffering the culture shock when you come out. What did you do when you got out? Um, well, I got a, f a friend of mine gave me a, a van, a very good friend of mine, and I, I love my work, carpentry. I'm a carpenter, and uh, I started doing a bit of work carpentry. But then I wanted to, um, I wanted to do everything legal. You know, I didn't want anybody to point out or pick me up on anything. So I spent £400 doing the courses to get a CSCS card. You know, it's a work card so you can get on building science and that. And I had this uh, friend who's got a company in Moorgate would have given me all the work I could had or I could work seven days a week if I wanted but it had to be straight, you know. I had to be with the cars on. And, you know, I did a trial. I did half a day's work for him. All of a sudden, they stopped my pension for three weeks over Christmas period. I'm not allowed to work. And that is one of the grievances I still have to this day because when I was released, they declared that I wasn't entitled to a state pension because I haven't paid any stamps all over the years. But when you consider it, I'm working for the Queen, right? It's under HMP, isn't it? I'm, I'm fucking sewing mail bags, doing menial tasks and cleaning. Why is that not? Work in prison is compulsory. If you don't work, you get punished. Why is that not worth a stamp? To entitle to me to a state pension. Can you answer that one? No. Well, that's what they're doing to me. No, still? Yeah, I'm not legally allowed to work unless I want to risk losing my media pension, which is a pittance. And you want to work? Huh? Do you want to work? I want to work, yeah. But obviously I can't maybe do a full-time the effects of the stroke I've had, I'm getting tired now. It's becoming a struggle to talk, but, you know, a full working physical day, I don't know that I'll be able to do that. For people watching, a lot of people will offer you work and a lot of people want to do well for you, so I'm going to leave a yeah. link or some sort of email for yourself that people can be in contact with you. Like, I see a lot of goodness in you, John. Like, yeah. You're loyal to the fucking board. Well, funny, uh, let me bring up another... F I did this job for... An American couple near where I live, they're very uh, well-to-do, and um, they wanted some bookcases built from floor to ceiling all the way around the room. So it was one of the first jobs I had since coming home. And I thought, I have to tell these people my background because... I don't want them to find out from somebody else and then freak out, you know. 
So I put before I started work for them, I told myself, look, um, I've just been released from prison. I'm, I was I served a life sentence for, for murder. Blah blah blah. Told them, well, they left that house with me in there working on my own for the whole day. So, and you can't buy a, a feeling like that, that pleasure, that trust they put into me. That was the right thing I did was by telling them. And they was at ease with me from the word go. And to this day, they're very good friends of mine. And they asked me back several times to repair things and that. And to me, that's, you know, that's lovely. It boosts me up, it does. Yeah. Um, but you can see your lawyer. Because if anybody doesn't like where I've been or what I've done, they can fuck off. I'm not interested in them anyway. So I make a point now. If anybody's home, I go into where I have to do a bit. I have to tell them where I'm from and what I'm all about, you know. Yeah. Because I don't want them finding out by accident and freaking out and making their imagination mm -hmm. running wild. You can understand why some people would freak out as well. Oh, absolutely. Know. That's why. I, that's why mm -hmm. I, I feel the need to tell them. You know. See, every Christmas and New Year, did it get easier or did it get harder? As the years went on, well, inside, yeah. Uh, well, one of the things I did, which which obviously affects me now that I'm out, and it it confuses a lot of people, is I have great difficulty remembering dates or times. Because when I when I was inside, I never used to have a calendar. I was aware of the dates for most of the time, but Monday through to Sunday, through to Christmas, Easter, to me it was just one long stretch of time. No one day was any special than the other. And that made it so easy for me. I never got traumatised for anniversaries of someone dying or whatever, like my sister do I don't because I don't know the dates you know for, for all the people I've lost they're in here they're with me forever anyway I don't need a date to remember by and uh, so time for me was just one big long streak otherwise if you're going to mark off the daisies it becomes an eternity, mm -hmm. you know. You're you're making things hard for yourself. When did you do the program? Was it the mind of a murderer? No, it's called What Makes a Murderer. What makes? When did you do the program? What makes a murderer? Um, I don't. Again, I I can't really say. I don't know whether it was a year ago or two years ago. What was it like? Um. Whatever they took me on location, like uh, I think Birmingham University is where they did the brain scans. It was a scientific program um, to discover if there was any difference between my brain pattern and, and any normal person. And apparently, they said there was. 
I have an what was that word, medulla? Medulla. Med, med, yeah, it's a, mine is enlarged. Where it's apparently, according to the scientists, was a psychopathic trait. I I don't really believe a word of it, but I can believe that maybe it's a sign that you've suffered trauma because they say that's where your feelings or emotions are, are based. And when, when you're traumatized, as you say, like when I was a child, it kind of shuts itself off. I don't know what... No, he says it grows bigger than it. I don't know, it's all... It's all gobbledygook to me, because, because at one point he put six brain scans on the table and asked me to pick one out that had the most psychopathic traits in it. I picked one out, it turned out to be his, a scientist. So he's more fucking psychopathic <laughs> than I am. What is the psycho what is the psychopathic traits? No empathy. Yeah, no lack of fear. You could say you have that one though. Yeah, but I don't I don't attribute that to being a psychopath. I attribute that to my brother. Mm-hmm. You know. What is the psychopathic traits though? Was, was there many or was it only a few? Well, again, again, lack of empathy. I think they got it wrong because, you know, as I say, I've sat and watched a soppy advert over chocolate and had tears rolling down my cheeks. No, I, I feel a lot of empathy. I feel a great deal of empathy for what's going on at the moment and in Ukraine. It's absolutely... Fucking horrendous, you know. And uh, so if lack of empathy was a psychopathic trait, that's not me. I'm not a psychopath. I don't believe. I think if you ha- didn't have any empathy, I don't think you'd have escaped prison four times to go and see family members. No. I could envision, given the right circumstances, being a selective psychopath, you know, if someone who's threatening my family or or is just a plain bad bastard, then I could become a lunatic myself. Anybody could, as we've said before. You know, you get mothers and fucking lift up a seven-stone mother, lift up a car off her child. You know, that that's a type of strength it generates. It's got to be for the right reasons. You must have came across a few mad men, though, and said that, were you never in? Why did they never send you to Broadmoor? Because I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> did they uh, ever try well, though? Actually, actually, uh, I got quite worried about that one time because uh, during my stint at Parkhurst, you had this uh, psych- uh, psycho doctor called Cooper. And you see about, I was on his work party. They used to call it Cooper's Troopers. He had the power to nut you off, you know. But I didn't realise by being on his party, I was I was under scrutiny. So, uh, but in the end, they found him running around the woods outside part of Stark Naked. He was a fucking lunatic yourself. Yeah. It's probably just sent people there on the big yeah. as well. But that's the type of abuse that went on years ago. Um, now it's pretty difficult to get someone... Put in a 
nothing else. But there, one man's signature, boss, you're off. Was enough. Yeah. How does it feel that talking about your story today, your past, family members? Yes, uh, I can feel um, it's it's drained me a, a, a bit. I feel kind of wipes out. Well, that's why I gave up trying to write my own book because I, I got into circumstances where I'm reliving a certain memory uh, and it leave me like a wet flannel, you know. I go, fuck it, I can't do that. So in the end, I've got this guy who works for the Camden Journal. I've dictated it to him and he's written it. Yeah. A powerful book. It's a bestseller you've got there. Yeah, so I've just been accepted for a deal with uh, history books. I was um, at first going to go through Harper and Collins, but then the COVID crap hit and everything went pear shaped. And then the uh, managing director, the editor, what was it? I forget her name, Kelly Ellis. She uh, became pregnant and went on maternity leave and it kept dragging on and on and on. And then they wrote back and said they wanted this bit rewritten in the first person. And then in the end, uh, I think they've, they're so big, the company, I think they haven't got the courtesy to answer your emails or inquiries or whatever. And you know, well, fuck it let's go somewhere else mm -hmm. and this guy from history books he's very eager and very keen to write a story or to publish a story which is all I want I want someone who's interested in it not because they want to make money out of it you know what would the John of now say to the 20 year old John and from the past if you could give them advice. Oh, stick to your fucking carpentry and leave all the criminality alone. Yeah. 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 I, I very strong regrets to that. I'm, I mean, in prison, I, I actually became a badminton champ for over 40 years. And because uh, I remember my asking my dad one day, I was interested in playing tennis. He said to me, what do you want for your birthday, son? I said, tennis racket, Dad. Well, he gave me a cunt round a fucking ear hole and bought me a pair of boxing gloves, which was his passion, you know, boxing. And I used to say, point to Matt McEnroe to him, I said, look, when he just won Wimbledon and got 150 grand, we, yeah, it was too late now, son, you know. But I think under the... I don't ever want to criticise my parents or be disloyal to them, but a lot of the way you grow up is who your parents are. And if they can open up their minds to what makes you tick, what your likes, dislikes and passions are, instead of saying, no, we want you to be a lawyer, we want you to be a doctor, we want you to be this, that, the other, you'd be a success. Because you have to love what you're doing to be successful at it. And I loved holding a racket. But, um, and a shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, not really. 
Yeah, you've had some leaf, yeah. John. You've had some leaf, mainly. I prefer pistols to shotguns. <laughs> but you can clearly see that you're still a good guy as well. Like all the fuck ups you've done, all the mistakes you've done, like you can still see that you've still got a, a heart, but you've still got remorse, you've still got empathy. Like, like to escape all those prisons to go and see your family. Yes, look, you put yourself in prison, you've got to take responsibility for that. But to the things that you've done and even coming on today and every time I've spoke to you, you've been nothing but nice. Like, how is yeah. it? I mean, even my girlfriend's had a go at me several times for giving money to beggars in the street, you know. But although a lot of them are scamming and they've turned it into a business now and they're begging, but some of them are genuine, you know, aren't they? Yeah. And you do feel for them, but... Uh, where do you go for here, John, going forward for the future? I, li I literally don't know. Uh, it's uh, whatever happens, happens, you know. I just want to try and improve my health a bit more. Get back to the way I was and live the rest of my life in peace. For anybody that's maybe watching, that's maybe thinking about being a bad man or trying to be a gangster or think they're tough, what, what advice no, would you give for them? I, I've got no fucking tolerance whatsoever for these wannabe gangsters or cardboard gangsters, as you used to call them, you know. It's all meaningless. It's all... Every, it's all the bad emotions that people and vanity and glory... Just be humble and treat other people the way you want to be treated yourself. And because there are a lot of people that turn to crime, they don't know where to draw that line, never to step below. You know, you have to, you have to have a limit. If you are determined to be a criminal. Put a limit on it, you know. Try and uh, keep it to the Robin Hood effect rather than making everybody's life a misery and destroying things. Did the penny ever drop, John, like when you were in prison, like all the stuff that you'd done and you came to a realisation that you did cause a lot of pain? Or did that take time or did you know instantly? No, it always came afterwards because once that fucking red mist comes down on you, you know, you after time you've done the damage before you've even realised it. It's afterwards. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I've had, I've had people... Uh, Look at me and think, oh, he, even even now, I think, oh, he, look at that old cunt. He's got a great beard. He's got a great mug. And next thing you know, you're looking up down there and when they're on the fucking deck and say, oh, I didn't mean it, mate. It's too fucking late now, isn't it? You know, I don't know. I don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Before we finish up, would you like to finish up on anything, John? Uh, 
Yeah, I'd like someone to uh, answer the question why I'm not entitled to a state pension after being forced to work compulsorily for 40 odd years for slave wages. Yeah, so I'll, leave a, I'll need to leave a link or an email address where people can contact See, you. If, if you're supposedly welcomed back into the fold and you've paid your debts to society, why is it then that I'm um, ostracised? I'm not allowed to say for it. I can't go on programmes like Who Wants to Be a Millionaire because of my past history. Why? I paid my debt. You know, have you seen recently that certain criminals have won the lottery and there's this big clamour for somebody to want to grab it and deprive them of it and put it towards the victim's funds. The guy went and bought his ticket, the same money as you paid. Why is he not entitled to the winnings? No. So you're never really welcome back. You'll always be known that as an ex-robber, an ex-killer, an ex-this, an ex-that. You, you never get accepted by society fully. How would you like to be remembered? For not giving in. I think we'll finish up on that, John. Listen, for coming on today and telling your story, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's, it's been a mad roller coaster of emotions in your whole life. I couldn't cover all of it in this time. You can't cover 43 years in... Of course you can't. Whatever, but... We've got all the bits that I think people can know your story, understand you, and for anybody that's maybe wanting to help, I'll leave an email address that can maybe reach out, maybe try and get you a bit of work, maybe try and see what you can do with this pension, because there's so many people who watch these programmes that are willing to help people and yeah. give people a second chance and, and, and see where I've they can go. I've had a couple of uh, solicitors tentatively venture into it, and but they all seem to get uh, dismayed by the... I feel a lot of it goes back to the Factories Act in virtual, almost medieval days where, where prisoners had no rights. But, but those laws should be looked at because we're now in the 21st century and they should be changed. Yeah. Yeah. John, I wish you all the best for the future. God bless you and thanks for giving me your time today. Thank you, James. Take Been care. A pleasure. Podcast Network.